Welcome to Give Him Hell Brigham. This is Garrett. That's Jeff. How are you doing tonight? Doing well, Garrett. Another week down in the books. Another week closer to football season. Another week closer to football season. Assuming we have a football season. But I'm, it is an assumption. Yes, that it is. is an assumption. It feels like there's positive momentum that way. The NCAA um, approved the plan today for all of the preseason workouts, starting six weeks ahead of your first game, a couple weeks of working out before actual fall practices begin. So it seems like it's positive, but then you look at COVID stats in Arizona, and it's like, oh, geez, that's that isn't so positive anymore. Right, and it's it's important. It's I actually looked at this today because uh, I have a lot of family in Arizona. Um, used to live in Arizona and they it's Arizona is definitely it's by far the worst place right now in terms of spiking but nationally on a whole it's still we the country as a whole is still moving in the right direction Um, so you know you're seeing kind of those hot spots in places where for whatever reason it wasn't really didn't really blow up there the way it did before so hopefully that gets under wraps you know you I saw that Houston shut things down again the University of Houston Mm -hmm. Um, but they for some reason, they didn't test players when they arrived on campus and then said, okay, you're clear to go. They just said, we'll test people once they start showing symptoms. And then by that point, guys had already been spreading it amongst themselves. So it's, can't let me tell you why I think, let me tell you why I think that happened at Houston. Cause I've actually heard that that, and among other things, they just kind of lacked some controls. And I learned today that Dana Holgerson has stopped drinking Red Bull. And I think that has thrown off his entire cycle. He's having withdrawals. Yeah, and so he's just lost all judgment. That dude once chugged like 12 Red Bulls in a day. I always thought your heart would stop if you had that much caffeine, but Dana Holgerson, he did it on the reg, and since quarantine started, he's cut it out completely. Well, it's him and Ed Orgeron. I've read a thing to you that Ed Orgeron will pound eight, six, eight monsters a day sometimes, and I don't know. Like It must be all the rice and the gumbo that's soaking it all up or something. <laughs> Because I, I don't know how that dude is. His heart is not completely shot yet. I, I've had two in a day once, and my hands like start to shake. I start to like feel it, and it's nuts. I don't know how these guys do. Yeah, I will get one sometimes if it's like I'm up at you know going on a road trip, and I'm up at four o'clock in the morning hitting the road or something like that. I'll get one, and it like I get hot and a jittery, and I don't, I can't do it. So yeah, yeah. Crazy, crazy time. Uh, I hope. I hope football season happens. It seems like it's going to, but it seems like there's going to be some interruptions, going to be some you know, late scheduling changes, games canceled, things like that. Uh, for BYU, I'm really curious if that North Alabama game actually happens in November. I just, I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't. I think there will be a mutual parting of ways. There will send them a check to make them happy and it, is what it is because I think you know especially those games like that it's you know by the time you put out like put on the game and do everything it's going to be on BYU TV it's going to cost so much money to do that it's neither university is going to make well BYU is not going to make that much and you know they're going to be sending a check to North Alabama but then half of that's going to be going to getting their flights and travel arranged because you know the small regional fcs schools they bus everywhere and avoid staying in a hotel as much as possible to try to save money and so it's i would be surprised if that game happens at this point yeah and it's a really small fcs school their games don't even count uh towards fcs postseason eligibility yet last year was their first full season as an fcs program uh this year they still don't qualify for any postseason stuff 
Uh, so yeah, I just I don't see it happening. It feels a lot like the Wagner game, and you throw in a, a little bit of a pandemic into the mix. Just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. Right. That's not on our agenda, though, Garrett. Let's let's get into the good stuff. Uh, let's get into Hellion of the Week. Um, first and foremost, we really need you guys to uh, send us some nominations for who you think the Hellion of the Week should be. Uh, Garrett and I were talking about this before the show. We have our our second, uh, I guess our Hellion of the Week this week is our second straight, kind of a sad story. It's grim. It's, it's where we're at because we, we haven't had enough nominations. So please, if you know of anybody who is just killing it in life, whether they have an awesome YouTube channel like Dave Kim, whether they're you know doing something great in their personal lives or in the community or whatever, send us your nominations. Moving on to this week's nomination, it's a Jamie Black. If you guys followed me on Twitter at all in the last month, uh, you undoubtedly saw uh, the GoFundMe that I had put together for the mother of Ashlyn Black. Uh, she's a close friend of mine, somebody I've known for a number of years. Uh, Ashlyn was murdered uh, in just a senseless, senseless crime. Um, met a guy on Tinder, and he ended up killing her that night. It was, it was crazy. It's made some national headlines. Uh, the guy confessed. We have to have a little bit of a background just to understand why we're going to give the Hellion of the Week to Jamie Black. Uh, the guy confessed. He called the cops and said, hey, you need to come and, and get me. I, I just killed somebody. Uh, so they came. They arrested him right away. Uh, he was immediately booked and charged with murder. Um, they are trying to go for first-degree murder. And, I mean, obviously, I know that there's some attorneys who listen to the show. I understand why this happened, but uh, the arraignment was yesterday and he entered his plea of not guilty. Obviously, he is guilty of murder, but they're trying to you know, argue that crime down from first degree into second or third degree murder to, to lower that sentencing. Uh, so it's been a real rough week for Jamie Black. She had to sit as the mother of this uh, uh, who was killed. She had to sit and watch the guy who she knows killed her daughter, who was admitted to killing her daughter, say that he was not guilty of the crime that they're trying to charge him with uh, for killing her daughter. So real tough week for her. Uh, big shout out to Jamie Black for pulling it together. She is awesome. Talked to her several times over the last few months and can't believe how well she's holding it together given the circumstance. She's the hellion of the week for this week. And I mean, I just, my heart goes out to her. I can't imagine having to do that. I would lose it in the courtroom if I saw that happen because, you know, it's, it's BS and that, you know, I, you know, I, my heart goes out to her and please, you know, send us in some more nominations. Uh, we back to back weeks, we've had to recognize things related to murder cases and we don't want to, this is a, this is a sports podcast meant to be happy. It's not true crime. Uh, we don't want to, this isn't an A and E true crime special. Um, but let's move on to uh, quarantine kitchen and a little happier mood. Um, so this week, I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, I made a recipe. It's like pork and peanut, and it's called dragon noodles because and it was basically just a, and it was like takeout made at home, and it was really, really good, very simple, um, but it was just a ground pork, and then, you know, cook that up with garlic, whatever, and then put in a sauce that was just equal parts of, soy sauce brown sugar and 
not sriracha, but the chili garlic sauce. I don't know if you've ever used that before in a marinade or something. It's like, it, it's right next to the sriracha in the store, um, but it will have a screw-off lid instead of a squirt bottle, and it's just got garlic and chili flakes already mixed in and some chili oil. It's really good stuff, and it, this is super hot. It will melt your face off. And so, But if you don't like it, then you are a wimp because my 18-month-year-old daughter loved it. And even though, well, she loves spicy food, and but she loved it. It was great. It's super hot. Um, but then, yeah, it's just cook the pork, put the sauce in, um, then put in a, some peanuts to give it some crunch. Let that kind of simmer, reduce down. And then we cooked ramen noodles and then just mix that together, like toss it together, like a takeout thing. And it is really good, super easy and costs like four bucks to eat. We got like six days worth of meals out of it. I don't know. I mean, I like spicy stuff, but that seems a little heavy for me. I mean, if it's a little too spicy, then you can always just, you know, cut down on the chili sauce. You can adjust, you know, the chili sauce to make it more in your palate's range. <laughs> yeah, my, my palate's range isn't that hot. It sounds good. I know I, you have family from Cache Valley. Where you, I know how that works. Yeah, I mean, we are uh, we're a dairy family. I mean, I, I branch out. I, you know, I like my spicy food, but uh, I grew up on milk and cheese, man. There's no spice in Cache Valley. None at all. Zero. <laughs> well, my, my quarantine kitchen for the week, uh, I honestly didn't cook anything this week. But I did have, and I, I'm going to bring the hot takes today, because I had kind of a revolutionary moment in my life this week. I don't know if it's because of Dave Portnoy's uh, pizza reviews, Barstool, El President. Uh, not this. I don't know if that's why I've become converted. I don't know if it just is I'm getting older and more mature. I don't know what it is, but New York style pizza, I'm converted to the point that I don't know that I am ever going to put another piece of meat on pizza. So New York style pizza, if you're not familiar, it's you know usually a thin crust, it's crispy, and it's cheese. It's cheese pizza. You know, they'll put things, you know, different seasonings and things like that. Uh, you know, maybe there'll be some basil or some different, you know, onions occasionally if it's like a margarita type pizza, but there's no pepperoni, no sausage, no pineapple, none of that stuff. It's just a cheese pizza. And I'm convinced that this is the way the pizza was supposed to be. As I have gone on this awakening journey of mine over the last 10 days, I have had pizza, I think eight of the last 10 days. I've had a lot of pizza lately. Why? cheese pizza and it's because i've been expanding this this research there's a place uh it's in northern utah there's one in Layton, utah one in ogden utah so just to clarify you're not talking about pizza hut or little caesars no you're talking like an actual certified pizza restaurant so you will classify those if you are getting a national chain delivery pizza you would still put pepperoni on it you're just talking if at I a higher plane chain pizza, I would get wings at that national chain pizza spot or breadsticks. Okay. Probably not pizza anymore. Uh, no. And so no, I'm talking about, yeah, like usually it's your local place, right? Uh, there's a place it's, there's one in Layton and there's one in Ogden by the name of lucky slice. They have the best thin crust cheese pizza that I've had in a really long time. And I, I had it last week and I thought, Oh my gosh, this is what pizza was meant to taste like. You can taste the different flavors of the three or four cheeses that they put on there. You can taste the sauce. You can actually taste the little seasoning that they put in the crust. It changed the game. 
normally, you know, you get a meat lover's pizza and I'm, I'm lost in, you know, the bacon and the sausage. I don't taste all of those individual flavors of the crust or of the sauce. So I'm there. Last week it was don't wrap your ribs. This week it's New York style pizza, ladies and gentlemen. That is where everybody should live. There should not be meat on pizza. Everybody agrees that pineapple shouldn't be on pizza. I am convinced no more meat on pizza. That is a bold take. And come back next week and we will discuss how brisket is overrated and tri-tip is better. Oh, yeah. That's not even a hot take. That's just stuff. Oh, that, that got people riled up, though. When we had that discussion a couple months ago, that got, that got people mad. It did. It did, but I will stand by this uh, this cheese pizza take. And everybody, I, I announced the take on Twitter today. I announced that I had made this life change. And people are like, oh my gosh, you're like a child. You, you've never had cheese pizza. Oh my heck, you're like seven years old. No, 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 no. Children eat that like hockey ring pizza that it's just that cheese pizza from Pizza Hut that's been sitting in a warmer for like six hours. That's the cheese pizza you guys are talking about. But no, New York style pizza, I'm telling you guys, it's different. Today, I went back to Lucky Slice. They have the biggest pizzas in the world. I think they're like 20-inch pies. I ate, I think, all but one piece by myself. I ate it for lunch and for dinner uh, because it's incredible. New York style pizza is a life changer, and I wish that everybody would swallow their pride. It took me 31 years to do it myself. But I want everybody to swallow their pizza pride and go on this New York style binge. And I promise you that everybody will agree with me because it is that much better. And so it's, again, just to reiterate, we're not saying order Pizza Hut or Domino's or Papa John's. If you're going there, get the pepperoni because that's what you need to make it better. But you're saying you want a simpler thing when you're going higher ingredients, the simpler, the better. You know, yes. you want the nuance. You don't want to have pepperoni spice slammed in your face right it's like a steak right you go to uh outback steakhouse they're gonna cake it with like whatever seasoning they have they throw mushrooms and onions and all that stuff is great i mean it has its place but if you're going to a high-end steakhouse salt pepper butter that's it they let the meat speak for itself i'm letting the pizza speak for itself okay i will do that i will return and report next week sometime this weekend they will go to uh Camilla's or Danny Boy's Pizzeria. I think they'll see what other options I got in my neighborhood, and uh, we'll I'll give this a try. And it's got to be thin crust. I mean, it doesn't have to be. I've had some that aren't, but thin crust is better. And if you make it well done, so you just get that little extra crispy, it changes everything. But that's not that's not a requirement. That's a, okay. that's a preference. But I think so, you'll. So everyone, you have homework to go out, find a local pizza joint, order. A cheese pizza, slightly extra toasted, extra little, extra well done, and then let us know how that goes for you. And you also, we're going to give you lots of spending tips today because we launched our store uh, on Teespring, and we'll put that in the show notes below. And you know, we're not out here groveling, but this is something we do. We put time into, and we want them to sound good. I mean, the first episode we recorded with are just our computer microphones and didn't sound that great. And now I'm hunkered down in my closet with a little cheap lapel mic I got on Amazon. So if you are enjoying the show, you want to, you know, go out, you can buy some merch. If you have ideas for other shirts, please let us know. We'll try to maybe come up with one for every episode, kind of a tagline of an obvious type shirt of just a 
boring generic statement that are kind of funny and you know help it helps support the show and hopefully you know we can get some better equipment and kind of make this into a more professional thing uh, but jeff what is your favorite of the shirts that we have out there right now what is your favorite one? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think my favorite shirt right now, what we started, and maybe a little background if you haven't been to the storefront yet, uh, just statements of fact about BYU football. That's what it really kind of started as. Uh, so we have a couple out there. Uh, Taysom Hill is a quarterback. I enjoy that. Ty Detmer won the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, that was a good I think my favorite so far is is Jim McMahon did not like the honor code. Um, just again, statements of fact, we're not critiquing, we're not judging. He didn't like the honor code. Everybody knows that. Uh, I think that's my favorite one with a close second. There was a Utah fan, uh, camera back at staircase wit on Twitter that he decided to chime in and, you know, take the Photoshop to make fun of our shirts a little bit. And currently our number two seller on Teespring is the shirt that we made in response. That is at staircase wit is the worst. So if you want to, you know, support that cause, I enjoy that shirt as well. I was actually talking to Cameron earlier today, and I can agree that he is, in fact, the worst. Not the worst. He is the worst. Like, it's yeah. kind of like a the Ohio State University kind of thing. He is the worst. Yep, I, I agree with that. So support us on Teespring. We, we want to keep this uh, podcast as ad-free as we can. Uh, certainly don't ever want to put up behind a paywall or anything like that, but it is a labor of love. Anything you guys can do to help definitely helps. All right, getting into the good stuff, into the BYU news this week. We got a quick recruit. 20 minutes into the show. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's, that's expected now, right? We're on episode six. Uh, uh, quick, quick recruiting update. Jacob Schuster got an offer. Um, he is a big defensive lineman out of, uh, out of Olympia, Washington, Tumwater High School. Um, he has a bevy of different offers uh, for most of the Pac-12. I think the Big 12 has kind of snuck in there. He's got Michigan, Minnesota as well. I mean, he's got a, a ton of offers. Uh, Stanford has offered, and I think they're probably his favorite. Uh, but BYU did offer 6'2", 300 pounds, defensive tackle. He is LDS. Uh, so that is certainly going to be part of why BYU um, got into the mix. They're a little bit late to the game on this one. Uh, I'm not really sure why. I don't know that even if they would have been first and recruited him really, really well from the beginning, I don't think that Jacob Schuster's coming to Provo. But um, offer, it's out there now. Elisa Tuiaki called him up tonight, extended the offer. He's taking point on the recruitment of Jacob Schuster. Uh, he's a big guy, and defensive tackle is a big need. It always is. Um, and, you know, he did just get bumped up into the – he's a very high three-star in the 24-7 composite, but like you said, he is a four-star. Uh, he is the number 19 defensive tackle, according to 24-7 sports, uh, in the 2021 class. So he is – he's a big guy, and he'd be a big get. Um, I don't know. He's got a lot of offers, and we're kind of late to the game on this one, so I don't know where we stand, but it's – he is out there, so it's just it's a name to keep an eye on right now. Um, and another guy um, that we also want to talk about is uh, Demikio Nathan. And sorry, Demikio, if that is not how you pronounce your name, uh, we're going to call you Brother Nathan. I've, it's a cool name. I've never seen it before, uh, but it's D-E-A-M-I-K-K-I-O. So hopefully, if you come to Provo, we will all learn how to spell your name quickly or and say it, spell it, everything you want with it. But 
the he releases top eight and we're in there and his offer sheet is very similar to Wesson Jones, but instead of being a uh, offensive lineman from the North, he is a wide receiver from Texas, but you know, got a lot of high end G five offers, low to mid level uh, P five schools after him. And I, I like his game. He's a taller receiver, um, you know, coming in, well, he's not taller, but he's six solid six foot. So I guess that's the middle of the road. Sorry, I misspoke. He's not taller, but he he's quick. Um, if you watch his highlights, a lot of it is he has some highlights of him blocking, which you really love to see in a wide receiver because it's you know any receiver is gonna you go watch their huddle film they're just gonna be like okay yes they can run a nine route and they can run past everybody in their league and catch the ball when it hits them square in the hands like that doesn't you know it's all very similar but if you get after and block it especially as a receiver it shows that you're really a complete player and you just you get after every aspect of your game and you don't take plays off um and so again i mean what are your thoughts on brother nathan and him going forward yeah, I like his game. I, I mean, he certainly would help BYU. Uh, I'm trying to think of the the most accurate comparison that I can think of for him. And, and he kind of reminds me a little bit of like Dylan Colley. He's bigger than Dylan Colley was, but he plays with that same kind of edge that Dylan had. Uh, certainly Dylan, you know, he wasn't Austin, right? I mean, he wasn't blowing people or blowing by people and, you know, pulling in a thousand yard receiving seasons. I, I, that wasn't Dylan's game. But Dylan did all of the little things well. And that's what D'Amico reminds me of. I think he has a little bit more home run threat than Dylan had, but uh, kind of in that same vein. Uh, the top eight is surprising. Uh, BYU doesn't have numbers. We, we've talked about that ad nauseum at this point. Uh, and D'Amico would be a play-first guy. So it surprises me to see that BYU is in the mix. And from you know people who I've talked to, about D'Amico in trying to reach out. And this is usually kind of an indicator. I've tried to reach out to D'Amico uh, a few times over the last several weeks and, and you know, a little response. I mean, he responds, but it's nothing. I'm not learning anything, right? And I think that he, I don't know. I, I just don't see BYU being really in the mix, though they are in the top eight. I think BYU is probably treating him kind of how they are with like Targi Lamson out of Tempe right now that they like him and he certainly could help the team, but numbers just don't allow very many guys for next season. Uh, so they're kind of slow playing him, doing just enough to stay in the conversation. And then if there are transfers or injuries or something that happens over the year, that there's a spot that opens up, they can really go after them at that point. And it's not like they're just scrambling late. Um, but if there aren't those injuries or those transfers or something unexpected, uh, the recruitment kind of just fizzles away, and that's the end of it. So right. his game, glad BYU's in the top eight, but uh, I think they're probably eight of eight right now. It's better than nine out of eight. That's true. Um, that's but the point. biggest news uh, in terms this week in terms of recruiting came from the hardwood instead of on the gridiron, and uh, Caleb Lohner um, has officially been released uh, from his L NLI, so his National Letter of Intent from the University of Utah. And so he will be free uh, to move down, and he's will be signing with BYU. And then also picked up Brandon Averett, who is this is the second time that he has transferred to play for Mark Pope. Um, he initially transferred from Oklahoma State and was a redshirt at uh, UVU in Pope's last season there, and then played for UVU last year and was the WAC newcomer of the year. Um, he is really athletic, and he is going to be awesome. And he, I think it's understated. Um, that it really we lucked out because he initially um, 
you know, when we're talking about Mac McClung and all these other things, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't really in the conversation because he hadn't entered himself, his name into the portal yet. Um, but he came into the portal late, decided to transfer, came to BYU, and he's got a year playing for this entire staff, and that is awesome. And Jake Toulson was very high on him, saying that he was the best player on that team going against him every day in practice. And so he really just ups the athletic ability and gives a new way of scoring that really, on if you look at the rest of the, this roster, nobody else really can drive to the basket and score and plays and nails defense the way Averett does. Yeah, I, I, it's a huge pickup for BYU. I, I thinking of player comparisons, and I try to stick with BYU player per comparisons. You know, people, when we compare guys to like pros or NBA players, NFL players, it's it's crazy and it sets unfair expectations. Uh, when I think of BYU players, I think that that Averett becomes the player that we all thought Jasheer Hardnet was. Right? I mean, they they are similar in size, similar in build, and really similar in skill set. Averett just has an elevated skill set from where Hardnet was at. So, uh, and Hardnet was fine, right? I mean, he was a fine player when he was was here at BYU. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think that Averett's a really underrated pickup. And I, I don't know that he's underrated at this point. I think that fans appreciate what he brings. They've seen enough highlights to know that he's going to do some really good things next year. But it's kind of understated how important that was for the roster next year. Uh, and it's, you know, I think in large part due to timing, Caleb Lohner is clearly the big story and that is what everybody is talking about, but Averett's going to come in he's going to play alongside Alex Barcelo and he really solidifies the backcourt. Um, right now without Averett, there's a lot of hope that Jesse Wade is healthy. If Jesse Wade is not healthy, then you've got Alex Barcelo and Connor Harding playing you know the one and two that's your starting lineup i mean it, it gets really kind of dicey there if either one of them goes down you're in a lot of yeah. you're in a lot of hurt right you're in the same situation but the opposite like the transitive situation of what you were in last year when yoli went out and it was like okay there's one big man left on the team um it's the same situation next year that if barcelo were to go down it's like, okay uh i guess we're hoping jesse wade is healthy i guess we're hoping connor harding could play point guard um, so ad adding Avery, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for the, um, for the overall depth of the roster. And it just extends adding that one guy extends the bench two or three guys. In my opinion, it's a big, it's a big, big deal. Yes. And I love his game. Um, you know, if you go, we'll post a couple, uh, links tomorrow, uh, on our Twitter feed of some highlights of him. Um, Robbie McCombs over vanquish the foes dug up a lot of, old tape of his both from UVU and at Oklahoma state. And he's just, he's a fun player to watch. And I think fans in Provo, we are lucky to get him for a season. Yeah, I agree. And can we just appreciate Robbie's uh, internet sleuthing ability? Oh, it's in, it's unmatched. It's, just, it's insane. I used to think that I was pretty creepy on the internet that, you know, with following the recruits and picking up on weird little things, I used to think I was pretty good at it. And then I got to know Robbie. And if there is something on the internet, he has seen it. If it has anything to do with BYU, I'm sure that he has found it. It's impressive. And in fact, if there are any, and maybe Gary, you're this smart. I'm not this smart. But if there's any smart like developers or something out there, that if we cannot like, come up with a contest for make some news, let's give Robbie 10 days and see if he can find it. I think that would be, I mean, it would be interesting. And I think he'd do it. 
he, it's insane. Every anything that's on the internet, he comes up with it, and it impresses me every time. It he I don't know how he does it, but he should be a uh, social media detective. He can track yes. anything down, and yeah. our our text with him, um, our text with him is is always lively, and there's always BYU news going around, and it's it's a fun place to be. Um, so. That said, as we move on to kind of the bulk of our show, um, well, hopefully now what is the bulk of our show, we have the offensive preview for the 2020 season. Um, so we're going to try to get through the entire offense if we don't get all the way through it, um, because I'm sure we're going to get stuck on the quarterback room for a while. Um, then we this may get split into next week's episode as well. Um, so that in mind, Jeff, what do you think about starting at the top with the coaching staff? Go heading into the 2020 season. You know, I am way higher on this coaching staff than I think the average fan is. Uh, Jeff Grimes has taken a lot of heat. I want to start with Grimes. He's the offensive coordinator. Jeff Grimes takes a lot of heat. Uh, you know, questionable calls in the red zone. Fair. BYU was abysmal in the red zone last year. But, that scrum play on second and nine or whatever against Boise State. That was, awful. Yes, awful. a couple of those. Awful, but that was not Jeff Grimes's call. That was one Ed Lamb's call, and that's not really common knowledge. If you're a subscriber at Cougar Sports Insider, uh, you would have known that. I think last November is when we talked about that. That scrum yeah. is the brainchild of Ed Lamb, and while he is a defensive coach, he's also the assistant head coach, has some pull in the occasional offensive call for whatever reason, right or wrong. That's his call. So just a little fun factoid for everybody. That's uh, that's actually not Jeff Grimes, even though it's blamed for it. Yes, and I think that's a bigger organizational discussion that we could spend two hours talking about of why he was able to make that call. But I agree with you. I think Grimes is better than what he gets kind of his reputation for. Um, but it really, to me, comes down to, I mean, this is year three coming back like got his quarterback coming back for the second year in a row pretty much everybody the offensive line is one of the most experienced in the country that's his you know that's his baby of a position group they have a ton of talent coming back multiple guys that are going to get nfl shots on that offense on that offensive line got a good stable of running backs you know an all-american candidate at tight end this is really the put up or shut up year for me Uh, coming from jeff grimes is you know is there going to be an identity that we can count on and say like, this is, we know what we're going to get because really it's been the story. The last two seasons has been a roller coaster of, you know, up and down in one week. It's everyone looks like, you know, they're going to be a Heisman candidate and everything is great. And then the next week you're scratching your head of like, what, like what happened? This is this even the same team that we had last week. Yeah. And that's a problem. That's, I mean, that's a problem across the entire team, both offense and defense. I think Jeff Grimes is uh, – play calling, I think, is certainly his weakest area of being the offensive coordinator. And I think he's improving. I think it's getting better. Uh, and I expect him to call – I mean, it's easy to call plays with hindsight, right? It's tough to call plays in the moment of a game. And so much of bad play calls that you see on Twitter when a play goes for a loss of five, a lot of it ends up being, hey, a running back was supposed to hit the B gap. He hit the A gap, and that wasn't a gap that was there, right? I mean, execution plays a much bigger role than, than anybody ever wants to admit. 
Right. And there's no perfect play call for any given situation. Right. Right. Like yep. you have five and sometimes you guess wrong and the defense guesses right and it is what it is. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think his game plans, his overall game plans, uh, it's the best that the BYU has had in a long time. I mean, Jeff Grimes, he is he knows how to read a defense. He knows how to exploit a defense. The talent hasn't always been there. The health hasn't always been there. The execution hasn't always been there. And you mingle in a few bad play calls there. That's That makes it tough and it makes an offense look bad. But I think Jeff Grimes is there. Moving on to the rest of the offensive coaching staff, I really like this coaching staff. I think that the coaching staff is solid. Really anxious to see Harvey Unga uh, replace A.J. Stewart. And I want to talk about that just briefly. A lot of people are concerned that uh, Sataki and Grimes, they turn to a guy without any uh, coaching experience. They turned to a GA and promoted him as the first-time coach at BYU. Obviously, that bit BYU a few years ago with Ty Detmer and with that whole staff, right? It's a little bit different when it's one coach, not the entire staff that's an experience, and two, it's a little bit different as a running back coach than it would be an offensive line coach. A running backs coach doesn't have – they certainly they, their input is valuable, but they don't have the role in the week-to-week game plan that an offensive coordinator does or that an offensive line coach does. They don't have the cerebral player like a quarterback's coach was, that they have to get their players so mentally prepared for anything that happens. A running back's coach isn't necessarily easy. That's not what I'm saying. But among all of the offensive coaches, it's probably the easiest one. And that's why if you look across the country, it's usually the lowest paid offensive position coach. All that a running backs coach, and I say all like it's easy, all that a running backs coach really has to do is teach uh, fundamentals and what gaps their running backs need to go through. So make sure that your backs are holding onto the ball. Make sure that they're blocking and pass pro with the right technique and make sure that your backs have the vision to be able to see the gaps as they open up. They're not the ones setting the protections from pass pro. That comes from the offensive line coach. They're not the ones who are designing the plays. That's, you know, the coordinators, the running game coordinator, passing game coordinator. The running backs coach is really fundamentals and find the right hole and recruit, recruit, recruit. And for that reason, I think Harvey Young is a, a home run, even though he doesn't have the experience. Well, and it's, he doesn't have the experience, but he still has experience. He's been a GA on this staff for a few seasons now. You know, he's was, you know, coached under AJ Stewart for the last two years. So it really is. And it's not like BYU went out and hired him right away. I mean, they went in and started spring ball with no running back coach. And it was like, oh, Harvey's doing it for now, but we're still looking. And they still made him apply and he kind of had to show his worth and they didn't just hand it to him. And so right. it's, you know, it's not it wasn't just a cop-out hire. You know, they went, and it's at this point with, you know, he's put in the time, he has, you know, the knowledge and experience both as a player in college and the little time he spent in the NFL. He put in time as a GA, and he's, you know, he's bided his time, and he's ready to make that jump. And it just happened to be that he made that jump in Provo instead of going to a different school. But, I mean, it really, like, if, you're talking about higher promoting, going out and finding an FCS running backs coach or promoting the GA who's been in your system for the last three years. Like it's, it doesn't, yeah, it's not a big deal. And I think, you know, like we talked about Grimes and I'm love, you know, with the offensive line, I expect a lot out of both having both Grimes and Eric Mateos there. Um, And, you know, I've talked a lot with coach Mateos and, you know, gotten on, he has a few times during, 
the last few months has done uh, like Zoom calls with and gotten, you know, and I've been in a room with 25 other collegiate offensive line coaches. And Jeff, you've hopped on those calls as well. And we've listened in and they're, I mean, he's very, very knowledgeable and it's they know schemes and, you know, what they are doing schematically. It's just, you know, like you said, the syncing it up and getting the execution is really what this is the year that it needs to be put together. Otherwise, I think um, there will be a scapegoat somewhere down the line. Um, but it's, I think, yeah, I agree with what you said. It's, I think the offensive staff has the talent and the potential there. They just need to put it together and tighten up the bolts. Cause even if you look at the numbers, like in terms of overall yardage, the offense wasn't that bad. Like it was actually an above average offense. It's just things pittered out in the red zone and drives got killed down the stretch. And that really, you know, that really was where it got hurt. Um, and you know, where things fell apart is, you know, those couple plays here or there, the miscues that just destroy an entire drive. If you have, you know, like I was actually looking at this today and overall, you know, basically there was an offensive penalty on about a fifth of the offensive drives for the season. And that will kill you. And I know they're even going back to false starts. There were 18 false starts on the season. If you have 18 false starts and, you know, that's one and a half a game, that's going to, that kills you because it's so much harder to be in first and 15 than, you know, looking at second and five. And that can derail, you know, when you only get on average, you get anywhere between like eight to 11 offensive possessions a game. If you have one of those, that's, you know, that's, if you have eight possessions and you lose one to a false start that puts you into a three and out. Now you're looking at that's one eight. So 12 and a half percent fewer like chances to score. And so in a one score game, that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. Um, I mean, it's a look at USF, look at Toledo, right? I mean, there's a couple of games that they come down to that one score where BYU wishes they had one less punt. Um, and it, it's exactly what you're talking about. Real quick, before we move on to the quarterbacks, and I know we're, we'll probably spend a good amount of time there, two numbers that really speak to how well the coaching staff um, perform. This is coaching, right? Uh, 24.33% of BYU's offensive plays last year gained 10 yards or more. That was 14th in the country. That's a great number. If you're gaining almost one out of every four plays, you're gaining 10 or more yards, big deal. Uh, and the second number, BYU was 15th in the country in red zone trips. Now, they were awful, 120th in the country in red zone conversions, but they were fantastic. Uh, in getting to the red zone. So to me, it's that bad coaching. I, I mean, I guess that's, that's some people's argument. In my mind, that is more uh, execution and youth in the red zone. It's tougher to score when that field gets smaller. And with an experienced offensive line, an experienced and a healthy quarterback, I expect the BYU red zone performance to be better even without uh, huge you know, full-scale schematic changes. And it, I mean, if you go back to 2018, when you had a freshman quarterback for the bulk of the season, um, you know, that was kind of, we struggled with those chunk plays, but then they said, hey, this is a focus and all throughout spring ball and all throughout camp, that was something that we, you know, they hit on over and over and over again, like, hey, we are focusing on chunk plays. We went in, looked at it. This is what we need more of. And I think that um you know they did obviously they improved in that and so this is said it's this is where the step the next step forward needs to happen um to 
you know, put it together and get that red zone, uh, you know, get those things closed out. And I, like you said, I don't know whether it's overthinking it. I don't mean trying to get too cute in the red zone and not just, you know, grinding things out or if it's, you know, whatever, if it's execution and it could be players overthinking it or giving players too much of a leash because you expect them, you know, to, you overestimate their understanding. And those are all different aspects of coaching and, you know, finding the right situation. And it's, but for me, like I said earlier, it's, this is year three of that. And so it's like, okay, things struggled in year one. You took a step forward in a lot of ways in year two, but now if you're in year three with a third year quarterback and the bulk of your, you know, you're one of the most experienced offensive units in the country at this point with, you know, when you have Matt Bushman and you've got Brady Christensen and James Empey and Tristan Hodge up front, and you've got DHC, who is a very good running back, and, and Lopini Katoa, who is very serviceable and good. You know, you're really, you need a wide receiver to step up, and then you're looking at one of the best offenses that BYU has had in the independence era, maybe the best in the independence era um, in terms of across the board, top to bottom. And so if you can't put it together, and maybe the scheme is fine, but if you can't get the execution or whether it's motivating your players or teaching, explain, you maybe I think what Ty Demmer's problem was is he understood everything, but being able to simplify that to explain it to a 19-year-old kid, that's a very different skill set than just understanding it and knowing it. So whatever it is, to me, it's if you can't, with what is in place this year, if the offense doesn't look better, and maybe I don't even care about the points necessarily. Well, I care about the points because we're talking about red zone scoring, but it's if we, how we convert in when we get into the red zone based on what the, you know, the schedule ends up like and looking at the advanced numbers with SP plus and things like that. You know, if we don't get that, then I'm going to have a hard time, you know, being excited at what the offense is going to look like in 2021, because I think we'd be settled into the groove where we know what we're getting and it probably won't excite us too much if we don't see another step forward this year. Yeah, I, I think that's fair for sure. Um, and it's a big year. It's a big year for the coaching staff, and they're going to rely heavily on the quarterback to accomplish, you know, really what they want to do offensively. So let's talk quarterbacks. Everybody's been talking quarterbacks since, oh, like October. Um, I, it feels like there hasn't been enough universally good things to talk about about BYU football that we have really just like longed for a quarterback controversy because it gives something to talk about right um and all three quarterbacks frankly last year had their moments that they played really really well uh people have soured on zach wilson and i could not disagree more with the people who are sour against zach wilson look i know his his stats weren't great when he came back from injury and i recognize that his decision making was questionable at times as I, I've watched a lot of Zach Wilson play. I watched a lot of Zach at Corner Canyon. I've watched a lot of Zach as a freshman. I've rewatched, you know, all of BYU's games that he's played dozens of times in the last couple of years. And I've talked to a lot of people who know a heck of a lot more about football than me. And I, I just don't think that Jaron Hall and Baylor Romney are better quarterbacks than Zach. Now, Zach needs to improve. I think some of his bad decision-making, especially after his thumb injury last year, was the result of the thumb injury that he, he didn't have the zip on the ball that he normally does. And you could and see it. Was, the ball yeah, fluttered. His spiral was not as tight, and you could tell his mechanics were a little bit different when he came yeah, back. Yeah, and, and, and is that a long-lasting thing? Possibly. But 
I, I think it was a product of the injury. I think Zach was hurt more than we realize. And if you think about the situation that BYU was in last year, they were desperate for wins. They needed to get to, you know, they, they, were, they wanted to improve on that seven-win season that they ended up with. They were desperate for wins. And people don't realize how hurt Baylor Romney was. I mean, Baylor Romney's toe injury that he suffered against uh, Utah State, Liberty, against Liberty, um, it, it ultimately held him out of those six practices of spring ball. It was the same injury that lasted all the way that long. He was hurt. And Jaron Hall had serious concussion issues. And I don't know that BYU was comfortable turning to Joe Critchlow, who was going to transfer and everybody knew it, um, for those last few games of the season. So they plugged Zach in at, I don't know, was he 60%? Was he 95%? I don't know, but he wasn't 100%. And I think you could tell. I think some of the bad decisions that Zach made, he those end up looking like good decisions when he's healthy because he hits the windows that he was trying to throw through because he has more zip on the ball. His mechanics are better. Um, Garrett, you've got a ton of numbers that you want to go through, and I love it because it really paints. I've got 40 to be exact. Jeff and I, we have a spreadsheet up here that I put together, and we have 40 numbers down the list from all three quarterbacks. And it's awesome. It, it paints an unbiased picture of these quarterbacks. Uh, certainly, I, I, you know, I think I know what I see on film. And so I've got my own biases with, with my opinions. It's not personal biases. I, I couldn't care less, right? If it's Jaron or, or Baylor or Zach, I just, I really think Zach is the best natural quarterback of the three. And I really don't think it's that close, but your numbers, I want to get into those numbers because I think that uh, that takes away my bias. That takes away anybody's bias. We just look at numbers and it's not box score crap. It's, it's really looking at what's happening, not just the results of what's happening. Right. And it's so I will say that I did, you know, trying to remove the bias. I took out Idaho State because that is an FCS game and it was only half a game. And even though that was Wilson's first game back and he didn't play great. So that I will say that wouldn't help him. It it won't help his case. But also I took out UMass because for everything that was bad against Idaho State, UMass was even worse and completely swung it the other direction. And it just it doesn't help things. So I took those two games out. But really kind of starting if you start off with a three of them, of, you know, Zach Wilson, Baylor Romney, and Jaron Hall, really the first thing that we want to look at is really the average opponent, like strength of the opponent. And when it comes down to him, so this is pulling from Bill Connolly's SP Plus, um, when I adjusted for home field advantage in those, Wilson, compared to Romney, the average defense Wilson faced outside of Idaho State and UMass, it was five and a half points better on a neutral field, uh, you know, than what we're getting, or five and a half points better given the field, sorry, because it was home field advantage in there, but it's five and a half points better than what Baylor Romney had to go against. So it's, you know, Romney, he beat Boise, and that's really what he rode into because it was Boise, it was those two trick plays to Matt Bushman, those two long scores, and that 50-yard touchdown by Sione Finau, that was three-fourths of the scoring, and that's, you know, what did it. And so it wasn't like Baylor Romney played lights out. He was very, things were called to give him, you know, seven guys in blocking, give him a max pro with only three guys running routes, give him a quick read and call to be a game manager because he was the third string quarterback. And that is what it is. Whereas, you know, Wilson was given a lot more um, to do and asked to do a lot more. And we saw him kind of do that at the beginning of the season against those tougher defenses, but he struggled at times, especially against Utah and Washington. But even after you could tell that the offense kind of pivoted after Boise state, um, we're heading into Boise State to simplify things. And even after Zach came back, there was a lot less RPO and a lot more of just straight calls because the staff did recognize that that was 
that worked for Hall and Romney. And so they needed more of that. And that Zach, you know, maybe they overestimated what he could do. And he, you know, kind of reined him in a little bit. Um, but yeah, so just out the gate, Wilson, he did face the toughest defenses. And, you know, the Hall was closer to Wilson uh, a little bit than Romney, but it was about splitting the difference in terms of it. But really, Jaron Hall, we didn't get to see him that much because we got the two games he played in, he got hurt, um, you know, against USF and Utah State. And 16 uh, total drives. The big number um, for me, kind of, that I see is when you look at the percentage of pass plays that you get is of, you know, of these 10 games broken down, about 55% of the time Wilson was throwing the ball. Romney was 50-50, but he wasn't running very much. And then um, then we have uh, Hall coming in. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. Hall coming in at 38%. So it was, he dropped and he used his legs a lot more, but that was very effective. And that's why if you look at the adjusted yards per attempt, so factor in rushing yards along with passing and then touchdowns, Oh, you know, everything all together, Hall has that best number. If you're trying to wrap it up into a single stat, Hall has the best number, but it's it's a little bit weaker, num- you know, defense than Wilson. He didn't have the thumb injury. He wasn't coming off of the shoulder injury. So it's not so cut and dry because of the sample size and kind of what you're looking against. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I, I love that you brought up the Boise game, that there was a long touchdown run and two trick plays. And then another thing with that Boise game – I don't want to take anything away from Baylor Romney. He played uh, well beyond anybody's expectations. Uh, BYU, I think every BYU fan universally was expecting to lose that game by two touchdowns. Um, Just they didn't. They won. That was a big deal, right? I mean, that's a big deal, and that is absolutely a feather in Baylor Romney's cap. But you take away those scores, and, and yeah, that game does not look as good as it did. You take away some trick plays, take away a long touchdown run, um, and the other thing to talk about with that game, it really doesn't have anything to do with, uh, with, with Baylor necessarily, but Boise State was also starting a brand-new quarterback in that game. Hank Bachmeyer was hurt. That had been their quarterback all year. Um, they, were, they were rolling with new quarterbacks. And Chase Cota, it was his first career start as well. They were out of sorts. So there were a lot of things in that game that were a little bit funny. Uh, but getting back into your quarterback numbers here, you touched on it already, but it's the the amount of times that there was a running play. One of the numbers that you've got here that that's a huge one uh, is the times that a running back, or at least a non-quarterback, was running the ball. And when Jaron Hall was in the game, it was 36% of the time, or 36% of play calls were a non-quarterback run. For Baylor Romney, 35% of the time. For Zach Wilson, just 27% of the that's a big difference. Um, that could be a lot of different things. And we'd have to really go to the film and look just specifically uh, you know, with this number in mind and watch the games a little bit differently. And uh, well, you'd also not only just go to the film, but even you need to go to the staff to see like, was sure. that an act? Was that a true play action or, you know, was it kind of Zach wanted to be the hero and he wanted to throw the ball and he's pulling that play and he's, it was more of an RPO. And if you've yeah. heard from people close to the situation that it is after Boise, they did kind of rein it in a bit and did call less, uh, you know, fewer RPOs and more, everything was more true play action and true passing. But it is the number that stuck out the most to me as well. It, it's a huge difference, man. I mean, that, that tells me that either the staff trusts Zach way more than they trust the other two quarterbacks 
or that when Zach was in the game, it was like a huge sigh of relief of, oh, we can finally get back to a quarterback and not have to rely on our running backs so much. And I don't know what the difference is, but nearly 10% different, 9% different from uh, from Jaron Hall and 8% different for Baylor, from Baylor Romney. That's a big difference. That means that they are, you know, if you average what? If you average 60 plays, 70 plays in a game, uh, that's a lot more passing attempts. It's just interesting. And it's right. 27% of the time uh, of a non-quarterback run. That means defenses know that three out of every four plays, it's going to be a pass. They can hang back and they can play that pass a little bit more. That's just a really interesting number. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Uh, right. And it's like, there's a story there that we need to uncover. Uh, right. We can uncover during fall camp and talk to some coaches and, and see what's going on. And really, I think where a lot of it comes down to and outside of the running back carries um, or the receivers on the jet, whatever, is that Jaron Hall did a lot more with his legs. So if you look at, you know, got to add, if you have the percentages of, you know, on this that we have here that we're looking at for the sacks and then the pass, either in completion or receptions, you know, you look at it's right around 60 40 for Zach Wilson, which is about what you would say you want from. You know, you want about 60-40. I think most people would say, oh, that's good for BYU. You know, we need to work in space, and we're not just going to punch people in the mouth. Like, we need to get creative based on the talent we have, whatever. That's about right, and it's a little bit, you know, less. It's with Baylor. It's like 55-45, but then it's close to 50-50 with Jaron Hall in those 16 drives when he was at the helm. But the difference really where it comes from is he scrambled a ton, and it's, you know, the number of quarterback rushes there's about 10% of the time with Hall, 10% of the time with Romney, and then jumps up to 16%. So there's whether that is, you know, I'd have to go back and from where I pulled this from uh, information um, from the collegefootballdata.com API, they I'd have to go back and actually watch film to see, you know, whether it was designed runs, which there's some of, or just a normal read option, or if he's just scrambling. And I think a lot of it is scrambling because his – he got his sack percentage, which sacks are a quarterback stat. Jaron Hall was sacked twice as much as Zach Wilson was and three times as much as Baylor Romney was. And so that kind of also illustrates, you know, that Romney, they get, hey, quick reads, get it out. Don't wait too long. You know, you have a two-second clock in your head with Max Protect. Boom. But then, you know, Jaron is also trying to run around a little bit. And if you run around and get tackled behind the line of scrimmage, even on a scramble, it counts as a sack. If, you know, the scorekeeper you know, thinks that you were dropping back with the intent to pass at the start of the play. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that this, I, I think the quarterback battle is going to be really interesting um, ob for obvious reasons. We were talking one more number, I guess, before I move on, we were talking a little bit before the show and I think you kind of touched on it already. Do you still have the numbers off the top of your head? If you take the two, there were two screens from Baylor Romney that went for about 140 total yards. A screen to Lopini Katoa against Utah State that went for like 76 yards or something like that. And then a 45, 50-yard touchdown pass uh, against Liberty that went to Aleva Hifo. Both of those throws were behind the line of scrimmage. You that was, a, that was about a fifth of yeah. Baylor Romney's yards. Yeah, and now you take away two trick plays. That, uh, that was a big part of BYU's offense. So maybe it's not fair to take those away. But take away two trick plays against Boise to Matt Bushman. That takes away three touchdowns, and that takes away like 220 yards of his 740 yards. And clearly, he deserves credit for making those throws. 
but those were things that weren't there when Zach Wilson was was running the show. Zach Wilson didn't have those trick plays. He didn't have the running back break a 75-yard screenplay. Uh, that's a, it's interesting. You take that stuff away, and again, it's hard to take it away. You take that away from Baylor Romney, and his numbers look a lot more pedestrian. It doesn't just blow you away. You know, when you look at the box score, it's like, holy cow, Baylor Romney is so much better. Well, that's four single passes that make up more a than a third. Yeah, yeah, a third. Okay, a third of his total yards on those four single passes. That's a big, it, It's a really it, it really is, and I think, you know, for me, heading into the season, I think there needs to be pressure on Zach Wilson, and Zach Wilson needs to step up and be a leader and kind of own this team. You know, we talked about this a couple episodes ago that he was in California rehabbing his shoulder most of the entire offseason last year while other guys, you know, Jaron Hall was in Provo throwing with people. And so, you know, that chemistry may have not been there as much as things would like. And now he is healthy and he is back. And so this is really his year to step forward. Similar, I think, in a lot of ways to the guy that he works out with when he goes to California with John Beck. If you compare their sophomore numbers, they're almost identical. And even in, you know, people, it's kind of very similar. John Beck got a little bit of run as a freshman. And, you know, people are like, oh, this kid kind of shows some promise. You know, he'll be back. He's definitely going to be the starter next year. He comes back as a sophomore and struggles. Didn't take the step forward quite that everyone wanted to him to. But then his junior senior year is when he really put it together. And, you know, in 2006 was had an incredible, one of the best seasons in BYU quarterback history. And his junior year was no slouch either. And so I think we need to see that from Zach Wilson. But for me, heading into fall camp, it's a – Zach Wilson is number one and it's his job to lose, but Jaron Hall is nipping at his heels and he is, they're pushing him. And I think Zach Wilson's leash will be a lot shorter than it was because Hall has proven himself. And so has Romney. And so there is a very, very good competition. And this is probably the trio, you know, this, these three guys, it is probably the best and most complete quarterback room that BYU has had in a very, very, very long time. Um, and that, Having that there, and you know, Romney, he is a little ways behind them, but he is still very capable. And if it comes down to it, the staff has shown that they can game plan around Baylor Romney's abilities. And so I think, you know, kind of going back to earlier in our conversation, is that a matter of finding Zach Wilson's strengths and playing to those as well and kind of understanding what his limits are and kind of did they overestimate that and that was part of it? Or you know, were there a lot more RPOs where Wilson was pulling it when he should have given it? And without being up in the box and knowing what the play call was supposed to be, we will never know that answer. But yeah, that's true. we will know if he gets better this year, and that's not going to be up. And if he, if he doesn't get better, then, you know, like it's – if he doesn't get better and doesn't improve, then I think we will see Jaron Hall come in right behind him. And it's he's going to have to play well um, because, you know, it's – it's year three and everyone wants to win and it's time to, you know, come back on the stage and there's pressure from the top of the athletic department, the board of trustees down to improve and everybody knows it. And everyone is, I think everyone is feeling it. Yeah. If the first six practices and really there were only like three of media availability, but if those were any indication of what Zach Wilson is going to bring to the table this year, he looked noticeably bigger in better shape and he was never out of shape. He was always in good shape, but he looked bigger. Uh, his balls had more zip on him for sure. He looked like the Zach Wilson as a freshman. Uh, he looked like the shoulder was behind him. He looked like the thumb was behind him. Uh, he looked great. He did not throw an interception during anything that we saw um, throughout those first few practices. Uh, 
Um, we've heard, you know, just countless amounts of feedback that he's the best quarterback in the room when he's healthy. Uh, so really good show. I want to, we got to move on. We are going to do this offensive preview. We do the quarterbacks to take a little while. We'll get to every other position next week. Uh, quick, uh, I guess, quick note on the defense. We did get a question that was submitted to us on Twitter uh, in the mailbag a couple of weeks ago, and we didn't see it. If you're private, you got to make sure to like shout us out or something somewhere else. Make sure that we see your account. If you're a private account, and we don't already follow you with our at Give em Hell pod Twitter login. Uh, otherwise, we don't see your, your, your questions. But this one came in. Is BYU secondary actually going to be any good? I know the secondary's performance most times goes hand in hand with QB pressure. But will we ever, excuse me, will we ever see BYU actually become a man pressure team? Can they do it with the current talent? The answer to that question is no. <laughs> Not because of the talent. I actually think they have the talent to do it. Uh, but BYU's scheme is not going to be that. I think that we all hoped, everybody, every BYU fan hoped that Kalani Sataki would bring the Kyle Whittingham defense with him. Uh, while BYU secondary, I think, has the talent to play more man coverage, they do not have the talent that Utah secondary has. They do not have the talent that Utah's defensive line has. Uh, so that makes it really hard to run that defense. So with that, they've changed the scheme a little bit more, and they run a lot of zone coverage. That doesn't mean that they can't press. That doesn't mean that they can't be up on the line of scrimmage. But there's going to be a lot more zone than Utah ever plays, regardless of, of who is at BYU this year. But I do think that the the overall talent in the secondary is better. It is better, definitely, than it was when Kalani walked into the building. And for whatever reason, last year, it seemed, you know, they pivoted away from the 4-3 that had been run into more of a three-down look and dropping eight for whatever reason. I don't know what that, you know, what, why that was. Um, but, you know, this defensive staff was very good year one, very, very good year two, considering the offense that they had to deal with, not putting them in any situations to succeed whatsoever. And then in year three, 2018 was also doing well. And then they really fell off. But last year, if you look at the advanced numbers, you know, in the different rating systems, they're about equal with the offense. And that previously, they'd been a top 40 defense, which if you have both a top 40 defense and a top 40 offense, you're going to be doing all right. And But it's really the offense has lagged so far behind the defense since Kalani got here. So this defense needs a bounce back year, and we'll see. Um, if that happens and, you know, there were a lot of injuries and that could have played into why they schematically chose to do the things that they did. Um, but I think we will see a change and hopefully get a little more aggressive because they were more aggressive in years one and two that, you know, Kalani was there because, uh, you know, because of the talent that was there, especially at linebacker um, to play a little wider and they could get cover more space on the field when you had Fred there, um, Fred and Sione Taki Taki there playing. Um, but in the last thing to wrap up, we do have some five-star reviews, a couple of them. Uh, the first one is from our dear friend, uh, Pat Haas, or as he put in his review, Haas P from the Tweet Machine. He said, good job, good effort. Jeff upgraded co-host from Bean and Mitch, from Bean and Mitch to Garrett. Food from his mom's grilled cheese to unwrapped ribs and venues from his mom's basement to his own house. Globes like that deserve a listen. If you're a nerd about BYU or cooking outside and can stomach the weird recruiting stuff, then this podcast is for you. Can't wait for another episode. Oh, I also like the cheeky cold case podcast vibe with those fry those Idaho crazies part. 
fist bump. So there's that's, nothing like a compliment from Hosby. I'll tell you what, like he really knows how to make you feel good about yourself, doesn't he? Or really bad about yourself. There's no in between <laughs> with him. It's always to say it's always a good compliment or a very sarcastic remark that makes you question everything about your life. It's a it's a compliment that leaves you wondering as you walk away from it. Man, is is he my friend or does he hate me? Almost every time, and it's fascinating. No, Pat Haas, great man. Uh, he obviously hates you because he mails your kids Yankee stuff. Yeah, yeah, he does. He sends me every year. He'll send me a Christmas present. He sent some Yankee stuff. He knows I hate the Yankees. Uh, the things that he's done, I think the last five or six years running now, is he sends me a some sort of toy for my children um, that's going to drive me nuts. He sent whistles. He sent blow horns. He sent them a megaphone. This last year, he sent this thing called a Yelly, that it's just this weird little rabbit-looking toy with wheels on it. And it says right on the box, it goes as you yell. And so my kids have to scream at this stupid little toy in order to get it to move. And so all day long, my kids are on my hardwood floor just screaming at these dumb little toys. It's June. Usually those toys have broken by now or they've lost the whistles. But it's June and the yellies are still living on. So, Pat, thank you. From the bottom of my heart and from my wife's heart, thank you for your continued uh, sending of Christmas presents to us. <laughs> and... I won't give you my address, Pat. I don't need a yelly at my house. Um, we have another one from Braden Day. It was B-Day65. I'm assuming it's Braden because that is his Twitter handle. And his wife uh, was our uh, Hellion of the Week a few weeks ago with his new triplets. Um, he said, great content. I'm so pumped to have a podcast with the best info in the business for my kooks. I love listening and learning from these guys. And the last one, this is one that's also personal to you, Jeff, um, that we got one from Chase Kins. He said, great show, easy to listen to, not awkward like some other podcasts, great info. Jeff and Garrett are good dudes. Takes me back to the days when Jeff and I were holding hands in a foreign land. Chase, uh, Chase Kids, he's a, his name, I think that's his, tat, or his uh, name on Twitter as well. Chase Ellerman, really good guy out of uh, St. George. And so if you really suck up to Chase Ellerman, you could maybe have a place to stay when you need to go to St. George. Um, we served our missions together in Madagascar. I don't remember holding hands, but it was a weird time in my life. And so I'm sure it happened. Um, we lived together for a while. I think like three months we lived together. Great guy. Thank you, Chase. Thank you, everybody, for the five-star reviews. Please continue to leave reviews. Five stars only. It really helps us out. Uh, we had a really good week. Now, a little bit of a humble brag for you and I, Garrett. We had a great week on the, on the podcast. It's our best week ever. Yeah, and it was great. And so that's a huge credit to all of you guys, uh, all of you listeners. Thank you. Now, last week, our ratings, not our ratings, our listens were probably a little bit boosted because of some pissed off Utah fans that I know listened to us. I just got notified that there was a thread about us on a Ute board about how we weren't taking the Caleb Lohner tampering allegations seriously enough last week. So I know that there were some Utah fans who were listening to us. Uh, so in order to maximize, excuse me, in order to exceed our listens from last week, we probably won't have that Utah fan, a number of Utah fans boosting our stats. We're going to need some help. Please share. Please subscribe. If you enjoy the show and you want us to keep going, it helps a lot to, to 
keep us motivated and keep us going forward. And if you have any ideas, uh, you know, for BYU statements of facts that you want to see up on the Give Him Help Brigham store, uh, let us know and uh, we can get those put up for you. Um, if you have well, anything, and, and if it's really, really good, we may order you one. Yeah. If it's, if it's really, really good and it's, uh, and I laugh my head off at it, then I will probably, I will buy you one and have it sent to your house for you. Perfect. And if there's anything else, I mean, any ideas you have for the show, clearly we have proven Garrett in six weeks that there is no topic that is off limits. No, nothing oh, from you cold case to, to yeah, yeah. Uh, cold case murders to, well, I guess not a cold case cause that's been missed. So from, you know, true crime stories to cooking, in and out of the kitchen. We've covered both vegetarian and meat-filled topics in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And we've got sports, we've got basketball, we've got football, we've had sports business talk, we've had health discussions on COVID, we discussed broadcasting in the XFL. This is, we got it all here. This is like, this is like a variety show of everything. That it's, you know, it has BYU sports at its core, but this is everything I, we were running out of time. I wanted to talk about the electric chainsaw that I bought this week. Uh, we won't because we did run out of time. But I kind of went against my, you know, my inner core and I bought an electric chainsaw, not a gas-powered chainsaw. And I got to tell you, I was impressed. I was blown away. And it was super quiet. And it was safe because uh, as soon as you take the battery out or, or as soon as you take your finger off the trigger, it just all stopped immediately and it was silent. Uh, it was awesome. It was all, I, I really enjoyed it. So electric chainsaws, if you have questions or have been considering them, find me on Twitter at Raku210 and let me know. I am happy to give you all of my opinions on an electric chainsaw. I've had people reach out to me about smokers because of our show. Uh, so please, anything else you want the wisdom of Jeff Hansen from, I'm all ears. Uh, Garrett is as well at GJ McClintock on Twitter. Follow the show at Give Em Hell Pod. This was a good episode, man. It was. We ran a little long. I mean, our agenda was to get through the whole offense, and about halfway, about two seconds into talking about the coaches, we knew we'd get through the coaches and the quarterbacks. <laughs> but that's about par for the courses. You know, as I go downstairs, I'm sure my wife will tell me that our episodes are way too long and we talk way too much. But, you know, if you guys keep listening, it's we're happy to do it. And, uh, you know, let's give them hell this week. Give them hell.